0: Hello, readers. Coming up, it's my chat with Keith Norris on Primal Uprising. First, I wanted to encourage you to check out our website at booksonpod.com. While there, you can sort through past shows by episode number, book title, author's last name, or sort by category. For instance, select the health and fitness, history, or science and medicine category for episode number 94 with Dan Lieberman on Exercised. This is Dan Lieberman. I'm author of Exercised, Why Something We Never Evolved to Do Is Healthy and Rewarding. And you're listening to Books on Pod with Trey Elling, and I've totally enjoyed this great conversation. Hello readers. Keith Norris is the co-founder of Paleo FX along with his wife Michelle. That is, of course, the largest paleo platform and event in the world. And they've also partnered up to co-author a new book titled Primal Uprising, The Paleo FX Guide to Optimizing Your Health, Expanding Your Mind, and Reclaiming Your Freedom. Keith, thank you for the time. How are you doing today? I am doing awesome, Trey. Thanks for having me in. My pleasure. And in the introduction of this book, you write that this isn't a diet book. It's not a fitness book. It's not a book about mental health or emotional well-being or money or human connection or community. What is it then?
1: This is a book about reclaiming your sovereignty and your freedom. If I could put a very, very simple and wrap a bow around this, that is exactly what it is. We have, as a species, I would say, and to an individual have been taught, have been coerced to give up our power to entities that don't have our best interest at heart. Let's just put it that way.
0: A lot of people think that Paleo is all about living like a caveman. It's almost cliched at this point. Why is this an
1: incorrect assumption? You know the. So while the basics of paleo came from looking at our ancestors, um, looking at how we evolved as human beings, and you know the common statement is that we these chassis that we run around in that these. Highly evolved brains rest in the chassis that's carrying that brain hasn't changed a whole lot in 10,000 years. I mean, this my body, my musculature, my central nervous system, all of that really hasn't changed a whole lot. Now, the knowledge that we carry around in our brains has changed because we adapt to the environment. Um, I don't know that we're any smarter now, we just have a different knowledge base than what our ancestors did. But in saying all that, these bodies have not changed in 10,000 years. And so people kind of, you know, poo-poo that, like, oh, it's a caveman diet, you know, eating, eating raw meat and clubbing stuff and yada, yada, yada. Well, you know, in some ways, if we look at that caricature, which is what it is, it's a caricature, paleo is so easy to slander. We we'll would just put it that way. I mean, it's got every, it's got its uh, kimono wide open, it's vulnerable, it's <laughs> easy to slander. But for those who know the ins and outs of it, it makes all the sense in the world. If you feed a body what a body needs, the basics, you are healthy. The body, is, the body will survive. The body is made to be healthy. The body is made to be fit. The body is made to be all of these things. The obese, diabetic, um, insomnia, uh, the mental illness, yada, 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 and go on and on and on. That is not normal for this body, and if you go into indigenous cultures, there is like no word for depression. They don't even recognize that as a thing. Um, People are fit. There is no obesity. There is no diabetes. Um, People get sick time and again. Yes, it's true because we are susceptible to parasites and, you know, bacterias and viruses and yada, yada, yada. And they generally recover pretty quickly because the immune system, when the immune system is firing and it's given everything that it needs, is amazing. It's an amazing defense mechanism. And while people may
0: think of food and exercise first with paleo, one of the things that I really enjoyed about what y'all did with Primal Uprising is that you address a lot of these other areas as well, through nine different parts in this book. And it starts with part one, which is the human zoo. What is the human zoo?
1: So the human zoo, so let me back up a little bit. <clears throat> Michelle and I, many, many years ago, this was before PaleoFX started, so we're talking, I don't know, 2005.
0: Michelle, started, Michelle being your wife, being co-founder wife. of PaleoFX, and also the co-author of this book.
1: Right, right. We were working with people, working with clients. Um, at that, you know, during this time, I am training people um, I own gyms here, and I owned gyms here in Austin. I no longer own them. Um, Michelle was a chef. And as we were working with clients, we began to see that there were, how can we say, different buckets of, different buckets of human life that they were failing in. And there were buckets of life that they pretty much had nailed and they were doing really good. And as we did this work over and over and again, we found that there were kind, there were seven different buckets, big umbrella buckets, that we could put people in and determine if they were thriving in that area or if they were hamstrung in that area. So, for example, classic example is the type A personality entrepreneur. This is who usually comes into my purview because there's the circles that I hang out in. When I was training, um, I trained like attorneys, high powered CEOs, this kind of thing. They were all type A, many of them entrepreneurs, but that just drive to succeed, to make money, to do all of those things, which by the way, I have no problem with. I think everybody should make as much money as they want. Um, I am totally of the abundance mindset. There is more than enough money to go around for everybody to have buckets of it. But while they had maybe the financial area of their life figured out, the business side of it figured out, inevitably the wheels were coming off somewhere else. It was either in relationships. um, It could be health and wellness. It could be mental wellness. But somewhere the wheels were coming off. Now the natural propensity for these people is to double down on what they're good at, to pull them out of the hole. So for the type A personality, um, entrepreneur, why not start another business? I'm working 70 hours a week. Now, if I bump it to 80, that'll pull me out of the hole, that kind of mentality. And it never works. It just further intensifies the lack in those other areas until eventually the wheels come off. And when the wheels come off, then they come to us to help them right the ship. And we tell them, we explain this seven tier idea. And that there's no hierarchy to any of these, but they all should be in balance. And once you balance these out, you will, the whole thing being the optimized person will elevate at that point.
0: And before we get to these seven pillars, I did want to ask one more question about, I guess it relates to the human zoo. You guys point out that the narrative in this country is really controlled by seven major powers, big ag, big pharma, big medical, big business, big government, big military and big banking. Mm-hmm. And these institutions use marketing as an extremely effective tool to push their various causes and really to control mm-hmm. the masses. Who was Edward Bernays and why is he an important figure to talk about with all of this?
1: Right, so Edward Bernays is the godfather of propaganda. Edward Bernays was I think he was a nephew of Freud and He was a skilled psychologist. He knew human psychology inside and out. And he knew how to manipulate human psychology. And he was excellent at it. He also knew marketing. So if a company, say, cigarette company, wanted to sell more cigarettes, they turned to Edward Bernays back in the day, and this was like 1920s-ish. And he would create an ad program specifically to be able to play to a human being's unconscious mind for the most part because he understood that people operate 95% of the time, probably even more, out of their unconscious minds, right? These are the stories that we tell ourselves. And the issue with that is that these stories that we tell ourselves, these stories that are on autoplay are largely put there without us knowing, the vast majority of these stories were implanted in us between the ages of zero and seven, because at that time the human psychology is a sponge for good reason, because we are the most adaptable species on the planet. But to be adaptable means we have to have a prolonged childhood and adolescence. Much okay.
0: longer than just about any other creature on the planet.
1: Much longer than any other creature, which means we're very, very vulnerable in that position. So in order to speed that process up, to get us from birth to being a functional human being that can defend both itself and contribute to the tribe, there has to, the, the mind has to be able to absorb everything about that tribe, all, all the everythings. It has to absorb it. So the child's mind at this time is just an absorption machine. And if you have young children, you do, Trey, when you observe them, they are just constant, wide open. Their parents always say, you know, wow, how did my child pick that up? I didn't even think that they heard that or, or perceived it. They perceive everything that is what they're wired to do. They might not tell you about it but they are taking in everything. And it's, it's a human trait. It got us to where we are today. The problem with that is when you're in an environment like we are, a chaotic environment, an environment that is bombarded by messages meant to extract money or man- manipulation out of you, those messages also get implanted into the child.
0: Well, especially in this era where most children have these flashing light screens in front of them that yes. are being used to keep them from remaining aware right. of the world around them, whether it's in the car or at a restaurant or some other public gathering. We are diminishing our kids' abilities to be sponges for things that actually matter.
1: In this we world. are, and, and, and we're doing it unaware. I mean, I've never met a parent who would purposely – and I'm sure they're out there, and I know because I've dealt with clients of this type of relationship, but there's very few parents out there who would wittingly hurt their children, Mm -hmm. right? They're doing this unaware. This is the way they were raised. This was the information that they took in, and so they think it, it just naturally passes on to the child. The issue with all of this and coming back around to the human zoo is people like Edward Bernays knew this, and so what started off as, hey, I, you know, we need to sell more cigarettes or more shaving cream or whatever turned into, oh, well, if you can get these people to buy more cigarettes and more shaving cream, what else can you get them to do? That's pretty powerful. That's very powerful. So then you go into World War II and guess who copied Edward Bernays' ideas? The Nazis, right? They sub- they overtook an entire nation by essentially brainwashing. It's easy to do. It is very easy to do. If you do not know the way the game is played, you are being brainwashed too.
0: And to take that a step further, one of the next major guys to copy that game plan was Arthur Sackler. Yep. Who revolutionized the marketing of pharmaceutical drugs
1: too. once Once you back out and you see the way the game is played which is what we call the human zoo. So the human zoo are constructs of your own mind that keep you trapped. You don't even realize that you're trapped. You don't even realize it. I, I could ask most people out here, hey, are you free? They go, of course I'm free. <laughs> of course. Really? Really, you're not manipulated at all? No, no one manipulates me. That, that, I beg to differ with you. Dig into this and you will find just how controlled you are and then it's a matter of there are, you know, many and maybe we can talk about this later, there's many techniques to go in and start unraveling all of this.
0: We'll certainly yeah. get to some of that. The first pillar that is addressed in Primal Uprising is the physical pillar. Mm-hmm. This deals with both diet and exercise. When talking about paleo's role in food freedom, it's important to point out that marketing has really gotten its hook into this concept as well, really mm-hmm. muddling what it means. Yeah. So for the guy who is the co-founder of Paleo FX, what is the
1: paleo diet? Yeah, so we get this question, as you might imagine, all the time. Yeah. And. The way I try to explain it to people is, first and foremost, and this is where the caveman thing comes in, which is easy to lampoon. The easiest way to look at this is, imagine yourself on the plains 10,000 years ago, what would you have access to to eat? What would that be? And then on top of that, I want you to think about bang for the buck, caloric content. So the idea being, are you going to waste a lot of physical energy going out picking berries and such? Or are you going to try to go out and kill the biggest, fattest animal you can? What's the biggest payoff? Well, it's not too hard to figure that out, that the big, beefy, fat animal is going to provide you with a lot more calories than a handful of berries. So that's the premise that we start with, right? I'm not saying berries are bad at all, (laughs) but the primary focus is on super dense caloric materials, and that is meat and fat, primarily fat. And so we evolved in this atmosphere. So taking that idea into the modern day, I like to use just a very, very, because when I, when I worked with clients, I had to keep everything super, super simple, right? If, if I have a client, especially a high powered CEO, got a busy day, I can't give him a laundry list of, of, you know, pick this, don't pick that, you know, the whole <laughs> breakdown of it. I said, eat meat, nuts, berries, and some leaves. That is your diet and roll with that. Really? That's it. That is it. Breakfast, lunch, dinner. And guess what? You don't have to eat breakfast, lunch, or dinner. You can skip all three. You can eat all three. Doesn't matter. But eat from those primary food groups. And then, of course, the question is uh, do I cut the fat off of the meat? Do I do <laughs> all these? No. Just eat meat, nuts, berries, leaves. That's what I want you to eat. And drink water, a lot of it. So that's
0: a great starting point. That is once, great... once you get into it, then you can start focusing on some other tweaks within that diet, right. making and, and, sure that the sourcing right. is as good as possible, local yes. when possible, organic when possible, things like that, grass-fed, obviously, with the meats when possible.
1: And, the, and there is a lot of science in here. So, for instance, what does my paleo diet look like? It looks very Mediterranean. And why is that? I happen to carry a gene that makes me highly susceptible to cholesterol. Hmm. So I have to, irony of all ironies, the co-founder of PaleoFX has to limit his saturated fat intake. Hmm. And I know this from science. This is where this is a marriage of art and science. We don't poo-poo science. I take in all the science, you know, properly vetted, yada, yada, yada. And we can talk about how subverted science has gotten in the last decade. But you have to look at that too, right? This is an art.
0: Does saturated include mono and poly? Yes. Wow.
1: Yeah. But that's for me, and that's Mm. my genetic makeup. Um, Now, I don't eliminate it. I just lower it. And so the big substitution for me, instead of a lot of saturated fat, olive oil. Mm. So that's, you know, but that is another level of going deeper. And then we talk about sourcing. And then we talk about all of these, these other issues. Yes, they're all important. But we always start, just like in sports, at the basics. Right? This is a football. We're going to start at the basics. Start here, and then we can add to it. You know, when I, when I played football as a kid, it was, you know, Pop Warner football at, at the age from where I had to hold the ball, you know, up and down, nose up and down, because you couldn't hold it regular. even the junior balls. At that age all the way up through when we played junior high, when I played you know, and went into high school, it was just another layer of complexity, another layer of complexity, another layer of complexity. And then I went to college, and that was another layer of complexity. For those who go to the pros, another layer of complexity. But you can't teach a pro-style offense to a pop Warner team. Hmm. You will. I've seen it tried. It does not work. You have to have a playbook that's about four plays, and have them master that. Every Pop Warner, I know this is way off tangent, but every Pop Warner, but it it applies here. Every Pop Warner team that I helped coach, literally we had like five plays, but those kids knew exactly how to execute those five plays. Exactly. They were flawless at it. And they won over and over and over and over and over. That is the same with diet. That is the same with fitness. Yep. You start with the basics, you master the basics, and then you layer on top of that. Little. It's the old
0: saying, learn to walk before you can run. Exactly. You don't exactly. start somebody in the gym by having them do Olympic lifts. Right. You have them maybe learning what yes. those movements are yep. and doing so without any weight.
1: Yes. Yes. And the, you know, the East Germans had that figured out way back in the day. This is kind of the Olympic season right now. And I, I had a discussion with a friend the other day. And he was talking about the medal. I haven't been keeping up with the Olympics for <laughs> maybe obvious reasons. <laughs> to, uh, but um, the, the guy I was talking to, who was, was a former um, Olympic hopeful swim, uh, swimmer, and uh, we were talking about the Olympics. He asked if I was watching it, and I was like, no. <laughs> but he was talking about the medal count. And I said, Craig, do you remember back in the 80s, man? Late 70s and 80s, when the East Germans a country the size of Virginia in the US. <laughs> the size of Virginia. It was Russia, USA, and East Germany vying for the top. So how do you take a population with that few people and produce a, an athletic juggernaut that could compete with the Russians in the US? You did it by, everybody would say, steroids. Well, yeah, everybody was using steroids. That
0: was part of everybody. the equation, but that it was, was about, part of the, about the efficiency as well. It was working smarter. Smart.
1: They had physiology dialed in. They had training dialed in. Did they have steroids dialed in? You bet they did. And so did the U.S. And so did Russia. Mm-hmm. Right. This is a whole Lance Armstrong thing. Take take performance enhancing drugs off the table, and who wins seven tours in a row? Lance Armstrong.
0: Hmm.
1: Yeah. Um, total tangent, but. (laughs) It's all
0: good. Uh, On the subject of movement and exercise, which I just mentioned as part of this pillar here, does the paleo way of moving include not just doing as our ancestors did, but implementing evolved exercise principles? Mm. And if so, what does healthy movement look like in 2021?
1: Yeah. So, you know, healthy movement looks like to me from my perspective, and by the way, my perspective is the only thing I'm an expert in. (laughs) <laughs> so we'll, just, we'll just put that out there. Good caveat. <laughs> Healthy movement is what you will do day to day to day. If that is walking, if that's it, then I'm a champion of walking. For me, it looks like cycling. It looks like uh, weightlifting. It looks like high-intensity interval training. It looks like just this hodgepodge of movement that makes me happy. So I'm at the point in my life right now I can wake up and kind of stretch and go... What do I want to do today? I want to ride I want to go to the gym and, and lift heavy shit what do I want to do and I do it um, when I was training and had a goal to train for, of course, that got much more uh, scheduled because you know the, it, it has to be if you 're going to be an athlete and you want to compete at that level that 's the payoff right You do the work and the work includes all the structure you know and there's a definite build up and yada 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 we could get into. Uh, the theory of sports training at another time. But um, for now, it is what makes people happy. Is it yoga? Cool. freaking do yoga. Um, Is it gymnastics? I'm down with that. Do it. But it's whatever makes you happy. Now, I could say, and I do say, and I did say when I owned gyms, that if you want bang for the buck on the human body, you need to lift heavy things. Plain and simple. Mm-hmm. You want to build muscle mass, building, what's the quickest way to lose fat? Build muscle. The Even faster than changing your diet, build muscle.
0: It surprises a lot of people, it, but the night and day difference yep. between steady state cardio versus consistent resistance training cannot yep. be overstated.
1: Yeah, it's in, you know, I look at sports like the Tour de France, or uh, cycling, I look at baseball. These are very, very, very traditional sports. Mm-hmm. I mean, you go into these sports and you want to change anything with the training, it, it takes an act, of, an act of Congress. I mean, it's, they do <laughs> not change. They do not deviate. But even these institutions are recognizing the benefit of strength training. Right? And, you know, going back to Lance Armstrong, he was one of the first to embrace it. He realized I have to maintain muscle mass to be a and not just a good athlete, but a great athlete to compete. Mm-hmm. I have to maintain this muscle mass. So, um, but that also works for the elderly, right? Sarcopenia, which is muscle wasting, is, you want to talk about an epidemic <laughs> in the US? Sarcopenia is an epidemic. Sarco- what is that? Sarcopenia is muscle loss. Okay. And that naturally occurs with age, but in our civilization that there is like a drop off the cliff. Mm -hmm. Why is that? Because the elderly, for the most part, don't lift anything, right? This culture is all based on convenience and don't lift a finger. Mm -hmm. That's just what we've been taught. Again, human zoo, right? This is what's been beaten into your brain from the time you were young. When you reach your golden years, you don't have to lift a finger. It's just easy peasy and you ride off into the sunset. Well, Yes, riding, if riding into the sunset means, you know, wearing a diaper for the last 15 years of your life and being immobile, cool, if that's what you want, that's not me. I intend to swan dive off the cliff when it's time. You know people say, you know, we kind of joke around sometimes, and, yeah, you, know, how, how you, how are you going to check out? How are you going to transition to the other side?" And I, and I tell people. Well, it's either going to be while I'm deadlifting, riding, having sex, or in a psychedelic experience. That's how I intend to go out. It's not going to be in a hospital room after, you know, five years of degrading. That is not how I'm going out.
0: Well, people think about things in terms of lifespan and... I don't think that's a proper way to really consider how you want to go about your business until you're dead. It's about health span. Health span has to do with the comfortability that you're leading from beginning to end versus lifespan, which is, okay, you may be alive for X number of years after you start experiencing these serious illnesses, but you're going to be in an unbelievable amount of discomfort and chronic pain.
1: Right. And and nobody wants to live that way. No. No. Right? And if we're just talking about pure lifespan, I don't want any part of that either. I, if, I, if I leave here, and God forbid, cancel, clear, delete, get in an auto accident and die, I had a freaking good run, mm-hmm. a really good run. And I want to live like that day to day to day to day to day until my run is up. Right? Every day I want to be maximized. I want to be vibrant. I want to be healthy. I want to be with it. I want to be able to do anything that I want to do. And that requires, on my side, some maintenance. What Mm -hmm. does that maintenance look like? It's like taking care of myself. It looks like eating right. All the basics. And they are basics Very, very basic.
0: The second pillar is the mental pillar. Mental resilience involves avoiding the brain fog diet, Mm -hmm. what is the brain fog diet?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, gluten is the biggest culprit here, right? Um, And what do I mean by brain fog? So, you know, people who experience this would say, you know, I can't concentrate on anything or I wake up in the morning and I just feel really, really foggy, I can't focus, I don't have any drive, I don't, you know, all of these other things. Um, And that's largely driven by gluten. So just very, very, basically, if you remove gluten from the diet, Nine times out of 10, brain fog just evaporates. Um, now, there can be other causes, yes. But again, we always start with the basics. What is a very, very basic thing we're going to look at. And by the way, if you eat the, <laughs> the meat, nuts, fruit, and leaves diet, that kind of eliminates gluten, right? This is, this is why I do that. And, and don't tell people don't eat gluten. Because then they're like, well, where's gluten? Where do I find that? That, 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 that. Just eat this diet. We'll talk about that later.
0: Eliminates the processed sugars yes, and a lot of the- Eliminates uh, all of that. The
1: hyper-preserved which, foods, which- Which also contributes yeah. to, to the brain fog. Yeah. And you, know, you brought up resilience. So, that, so there's this like, crossover between mental and emotional, in our, but, but they are distinct buckets. Um, and I would put resiliency more in the mental side of things. Um, and resiliency is your ability- persevere when life is tough life isn't always a cakewalk there are times when we have to persevere there are times when you have to put your quote-unquote nose to the grindstone there are times when you have to do uncomfortable things for a payoff on the other side this is all very very true and you can't do that without being a very very resilient person there is also chaos in the world a resilient person is able to what i would call hold center in the chaos all the swirl, all the chaos going around you, are you getting drawn into that and spun up by it? Are you able to have it be around you and be completely unaffected by it? So that's part of mental, mental clarity as well. Yeah. And, I, and also, are you able to hold two distinctly different thoughts in your mind at the same time, right? This is a skill. Vax, no Vax. Can I, have a, can I have a discussion with somebody and not lose my wig over it? Can they have a discussion with me about it and not lose their wig? Can, I, can we stay in this equilibrium where I really, really want to find out your why behind this without spinning out of control? That is a critical skill, as is critical thinking. Right? It's so important that we
0: have these conversations with it, the quote-unquote totally. other side. Yes. It's not necessarily going to change your mind, but right. at least you can better understand where that
1: person is coming totally. from. Totally. And look, I, human psychology has been my true love, probably even above sports, because I wasn't the best natural athlete in the game. A, I had to train, and B, I had to have my mental game dialed in. So from a very, very young age, I was like, what are all the mental tweaks? What are all the tweaks that I can do to make me better? What is all? And that led me to studying psychology. I studied psychology it was my, my minor in, in school. And then I just like really dove into it because I was like, the coaches that I played for just happened to be some of the best psychological motivating coaches ever. And I wanted to find out how it was that this coach, specifically Jim Wacker at Southwest Texas State, hmm. could motivate Trey Elling using Trey Elling's language, using Trey Elling's values, knowing what motivated Trey, knowing whether Trey needed a cheerleader or a drill sergeant in any given moment, and then turn and motivate me in a completely different way. But somehow he knew exactly those points to hit and the team as a whole. He was just a master of that, and, I, and from the outside looking in, I'm like, how is he able to do that, and this other guy over here can't do that? What's the, what's the, what is he seeing that the other guy isn't? Because if winning is the gold standard, which it is in all sports, you would think that the other guy would copy Wacker and go, he's got, a, he's got something there. I don't know what he's got, but he's got something. He's able to motivate these kids in such a way that produces a winning team. <laughs> what is that? I wanted to know what that it was. And that sent me even deeper into psychology to figure out what that is. And it's a fascinating study. That's such an important quality in a leader, being able to
0: connect with the individual for the greater good oh, it of is. the team. Totally. Yeah. Because to make that individual connection will allow you to
1: better get everybody on the same page and moving it, in the right direction. It totally does. So and where I was going with that whole, <laughs> with that whole tangent um, was when whenever you're having a discussion with somebody on the other side of the fence or with anybody and having this discussion with you, there's a very important concept that's called values levels, right? Everybody has a, a construct of values levels and these value levels are you could see them as a, you can imagine it as a, as a spiral, starting from the, from the ground level value being values level one, being mere survival. Can I get from day to day with food and shelter, right? Food, shelter, procreation, boom, that's values level one, totally dialed into that. Values level two would be, okay, we've got that stabilized. Now we're talking about tribe. Now, the individual is taken care of, and now the individual needs a tribe, boom, tribe around them to be even more successful. So that values level two is all about tribe. And this applies, by the way, in modern society. It's human psychology. And as you go up and up and up in these tiers, it's not necessarily a hierarchy of, of greater to, or smaller to greater, because survival is always still key, right? Mm-hmm. It's, are we as an individual able to integrate those lower tiers and able to, to move up, to move up, to move up. Where I'm going with all this is if I, am speak, if I am speaking to someone who's at a values level two, which is all about tribe, all about the safety of the tribe. There's no individualism in values level two. It is family, it is tribe, it is community. And take that to a values level three person, which is all about individuality don't tread on me. I do what I want. I'm the rebel. I completely am sovereign, you know, and I'm I'm using extremes here. But if you have someone using values level three mindset and words to a values level two person, it's like they don't even hear each other. They don't even recognize each other other than being the enemy. And so that if you really want to communicate with somebody. You recognize what values level they are operating out of, and you take it upon yourself to match if you really want to have a conversation. And that's, that, that's a very, very truncated version of Ken Wilber's Spiral Dynamics. Mm-hmm. It's a very, very... Spiral Dynamics is an extremely deep dive into values, okay. the value structure, and it's so important. In fact, when I work with clients... One of the first things I'm trying to determine is where is this person's primary values level? Because if I'm working with them, I have to be able to match that. Otherwise, any intervention I suggest is going to, it's not even going to be considered. They're not even going to hear it. It's not going to make any sense to them. I love that one of the ways that
0: you encourage mental acuity is by suggesting some ways that people can challenge themselves Mm. mentally. We just talked about arguing in a civilized manner. Mm -hmm. That's on this list. As are things like playing hard, memorizing, writing down your thoughts, Mm -hmm. learning something new, using a map, and learning a new vocabulary word every day. What's the last vocabulary word that you learned?
1: (laughs) The last vocabulary word I learned. Hold on a minute. Can we circle back around to that? Because we I can. know I heard a word the other day and I was like, hey, well, how have I gone through my entire <laughs> life and I've never heard this? Hold, put a pin in that. Okay. I'll come back around to that. Okay. Um I think one very, very important concept and one I do very frequently is I take a sacred cow of mine and I bring it out on the altar and we're going to sacrifice this thing. Like what? The paleo diet. Hmm. Right? I... My firm belief is if everybody in the world ate a paleo diet, the healthcare industry would go out of business overnight, mm-hmm. over fricking night. That is what I truly believe. Now, every now and again, I'll take a belief like that, pull it out to the altar, sacrifice it and see if I still believe it. And that would mean, for instance, in this case, reading all kinds of vegan material, mm. talking to vegans asking their opinion. Why? That, if you can do that and be comfortable doing that, and it's a learned thing, believe me. I was not good at this coming out of the gate. But if you do that, you will not only be a a more well-adjusted person, in my opinion, you will be able to do what we just said, have conversations with people who you do not agree with and figure out what makes them tick. What makes them tick? What makes them want to do that? Hmm. For the most part, people are not out to hurt other individuals. For the most part. There are outliers, obviously. But for the most part, they are looking to bolster themselves, bolster their family, bolster society at large from their opinion. We just happen to look at it from two different sides of the perspective. So let's talk about it. We might even find common ground somewhere. I've seen it happen more times than not. But until you are able to pull out these sacred cows and do that to yourself, and oh, by the way, coming across information that makes you go, oh, (laughs) maybe I was wrong. Religion is another good example. Right? Mhm. I've had people who are fervent Christians and have you ever had a discussion with a Muslim? Like a deep discussion? Wouldn't you try it sometime? If you guys can stay on the same level without, you know, flipping out, losing your wigs, that would be an interesting discussion. It's hard for a
0: lot of people. I think that's why important for those who can, and I think you and I are both in this category to try and have those conversations totally. and make it available to the general public mm-hmm. too.
1: Oh, I I love discussion. Believe me, nothing thrills me more. Look, I I live in a bubble, right? I live amongst people who think like I do. I think that's human nature. We, we all do. Gravitate to it that, gets back right? to the tribal thing. It gets back to the tribal thing, right? My Everybody's most comfortable position is being in a group of people that are like-minded for the most part, right? That's comfortable. You don't have to have your guard up. You're not constantly, you know, your wheels generating, trying to, trying to figure out how to talk to these people. You know how to talk to them. But for me to go out and brush up against somebody who does have a diametrically opposed view of life than I do and has the mental wherewithal to be able to sit down with me and have a discussion and tell me all about their idea, all about them, right? Tell me, tell me about it. Let me know. What are you thinking? What makes you, you know, what makes you tick? This is interesting because it's not my point of view at all. I want to find out what makes you tick. Those discussions, I, I mean, far exceed discussions I have with people who are like-minded. I love those people, but I already think that way. Right now, I may pick up some added information or whatever that might bolster my already, you know, previous held view. Cool. And it's not as satisfying as the other side of the fence coming in. That to me is like, whoa. Yeah. You also
0: talk about the emotional pillar, and emotional resilience is something that is increasingly Mm. difficult in modern times with so many toxic and addictive things to distract and grab hold of our attention, Keith. What is architect language, and how does it help here?
1: So architect language, um, let me back off by saying, and this might be a big reach for your listeners, but I'll go ahead and say it our language, the way we speak, is one of the ways that we are controlled, right? The structure of the language, the actual words we use are very, very, very controlling. Now, you could say that that came about by accident. You know, it's this way it it fleshed out. Or you could say it was designed from the get-go. This is how it was created. You can go either way on that. But the fact of the matter is that the language we use is how we are controlled. So for instance, Trey, if I were to tell you, you know, Trey, you're a, you're a great guy, I love you, but, you know, the car you drive, yada, yada, yada. The second I say, but negates everything that was said prior, everything. I love you, but, I lo- you know, all of that. You're a good employee, but, um, all the buts. And again, going back to the unconscious mind, we, we're, we don't even realize that we're doing it, but as soon as the word but comes out of somebody's mouth, everything preceding that is gone, and now you're focusing on what comes after the but. Hmm. It's like the other stuff was not even said.
0: It's almost like you should start with the bad news first and then but with the good news. Yeah,
1: or you can use and. <laughs> and, yeah. And, it, I, I mean, it sounds stupid. I get it. It doesn't sound stupid, but it's and not try something it. that I necessarily considered right. before right And now. try it. And see if it doesn't change your communication and the way you communicate with yourself, hmm. which is even more empowering. It's like improv, right? What is, what is the what is the you know the golden rule of improv? To never negate anything. Don't negate it. Mm-hmm. Your partner does something. It's yes and yes and yes and. You might be thinking it's. Uh, can I cuss on you? You might be thinking it's crazy, and it's yes, and. Yes, and. You can cuss. Okay. Um, you might think it's batshit crazy, but you're in improv. It's <laughs> yes, and. Boom. And you go on and, and roll.
0: Batshit crazy is some of the funnest stuff to improv off of. <laughs> it, is,
1: it is. It's also some of the best stuff to improv off of when you are brainstorming. Mm-hmm. What is the biggest buzzkill to a brainstorm? Oh, we can't do that. That's oh, stupid. And how are you going to do that? No. Bad idea. Just get it. Go. Yeah. And. Yes, and. You know, we're going to do this. Yes, and what kind of a team do we need? Yes, and how how much money do we need to pull this off? Mm -hmm. Yes, and how are we going to get that money? Yes, and, yes, and, yes, and. Then you can go back after and do the editing thing. Yeah, you know, hey, that's not going to make sense for me. But in the moment, the same thing happens in your brain as you're going through stuff too. And architect language gets really, really deep. If anyone's interested in in learning more about um, architect language, uh, Mark England at Procabulary. Um, I think he also has Enlifted with Mike Bledsoe. Both of those are very, very good courses on architect language. And believe me, it matters. It matters in your speech. It matters in your writing. It matters in persuasion. I use it when we work with clients because it works. Totally works.
0: Another of the pillars is the spiritual pillar at the end of the chapter on spiritual resilience. You encourage people to ask themselves what they live for by answering several other questions, including what is your dream? Mm. What is your current dream, Keith?
1: (sighs) My dream is to impact as many people in this world as possible to optimize them. Um, the way that I do that is via the companies we run, Paleo FX primarily, via the books we write, Primal Uprising, via the coaching that we do. That, and I'm saying we, Michelle and I. Um, and we specifically target, well, we love everybody. Let me just put that out there. But if I'm looking to impact the more people in the world, I have to impact those who can influence more people under them. And so there's so we are structured such that we can reach those people, Um, and we hope to. I'm in right now. I'm in a um, I'm co-hosting along with uh, Ta Whitty and Cole Whitty a facilitator training for people who are working with teacher plants. And the idea is to roll out as many highly qualified facilitators as possible. Because the upswell in A, um, interest in this work, and B, the need for it, actually the need is just like screaming ahead of qualified facilitators. There is a very, very big need there. So that is also part of my dream, is to get as many people qualified to do this work as possible. Because every person who comes through this experience is a different person on the on the other end. And what is the work? So the work would be facilitating teacher plants, um, helping people through trauma.
0: Teacher plants. So teacher you plants. mean you mean like uh, things like psilocybin, right. things like that. Okay. Right,
1: right. So teacher plants is a word that we use. It kind of is a how can we say. If prying ears are looking to <laughs> to bring us down, there are certain words that could be used that, that might be leveraged against us in this atmosphere. Okay. Right. And again, why is that? It's because people who go through these experiences realize that, oh shit, I'm being controlled. Yeah. You begin to see things for what they are. And that is the last thing a controlling government, especially, wants you to realize. We're still having to defend
0: against some of the nonsensical propaganda that was brought up on cannabis back in the 1920s by William Randolph Hearst, who was making claims that marijuana made dark-skinned men want to rape white women. Yes, Even though the tide has turned on that, we still are having to fight that battle. So the same can certainly be said with psychedelic... Uh, substances that are proving in a clinical setting to have a profound impact totally. on things like depression, anxiety, uh, PTSD, and other traumas that people are trying to overcome in their respective totally. lives.
1: Totally. I mean, we can go down the rabbit hole of why is alcohol legal and cannabis, for instance, not mm-hmm. psilocybin, for instance, anything, MDMA, any, any of these substances, LSD, any of these substances. It's no coincidence. Alcohol deadens the senses, Alcohol deadens the mind. It's the most low vibration substance out there and perfectly legal. And look at all the fallout as a result of alcohol abuse. And yet that's perfectly legal. And oh, by the way, it's taxed to be Jesus. Meanwhile, these other substances that have like no lethal dose are illegal. Why is Mm -hmm. that? Do we really think it's because um, you know people go crazy and do all this crazy stuff? Okay, if so, how about alcohol? Let me tell you, I've seen a lot more destruction resultant of alcohol than I have ever, ever, ever seen in all of my years, and believe me, my entire life has been surrounded by these substances, psychedelics, I have never seen that kind of fallout, ever. I've seen deaths by alcohol poisoning, never seen a death by psychedelic poisoning. So, you know, first question, why? Why are those substances? I can tell you why, from my perspective, again, the only thing I'm an expert in, those substances wake you up and help you realize, I don't need a controller, I am sovereign. Who are they to tell me what to do? I think maybe they're trying to manipulate me. Hmm. There's a concept. I tell people quite often, you know, when we talk about the human zoo and why would the human zoo be created and what makes you think that way? You know, the people who wish to control us, the entities that wish to control us, see us as nothing more than profit centers. Hmm. That's it, profit centers to be manipulated. Manipulated how? Mm, By propaganda. Manipulated how? You know, marketing. Uh, manipulated by taxation, manipulated by everything that you can think of. And once you see the game, the way it's played, you can begin to extract yourself from it. And you can see the game being played. It's almost like getting a view behind the, uh, you know, the blackjack table. Oh, okay. I see how this, the odds don't look real good, right? The, The dealer, the house always wins. Yes, the controllers always win unless you back yourself and extract yourself out of that. And let me tell you, when I first woke up to this was during military training. And the military training I went through was, was essentially um, evasion tactics if you were to get caught, right? And so there was a, when I was in during the 80s, there was a lot of studies that were coming out. And they, they had now looked at what happened during the Korean War and the Vietnam War and what happened to the POWs and what was being done to the POWs to get them to crack. Right, so you have these, you know, these videos of the, you know, uh, during Vietnam of commanders coming out, you know, denouncing the U.S. and doing all all the propaganda stuff that was rolling out Mm -hmm. during that. How how do you get someone to do that? Pretty freaking easy. It's pretty easy. The steps are just one, two, three, four. And let me tell you, going into that school, you know you're in a school. You know what's gonna be done to you. You know you're quote unquote safe. And within about three days, you are cracking. It is unreal. And you even know, (laughs) you know what's going on and you're still cracking. So I can imagine being unaware going through that stuff. You're going to crack unless you know the game, the way the game is played, which was part of the school. This is what happens. Rewind. Now let's talk about how to, how to jujitsu through that. In the mindset and what to look for. now that was a big thing, what to look for. Because this was, wasn't always POWs, it was subversion tactics that were being used too. So for me, it was easy to see and easy to identify and being a lover of psychology anyway and knowing the whole Edward Bernice story and tying all that back. And then <laughs> the funny thing was when I came out of that, I was like, oh, well, I was brainwashed to be a US soldier too. That was some expert brainwashing. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, you know, it's true. Yeah. In a
0: weird way, you understand it also. You do understand it. Yeah. And Spe- specifically within the military. Totally. Because you can't have dissent within the military because at that point, you're not going to be able to accomplish. Whatever the goals o- are, exactly. as fucked up as they may be, totally.
1: And the same thing in sports, right? You have to have that mentality. You have to buy into it, and that's brainwashing too, yeah. right? You have to buy into it. Yeah, bu- the-
0: buy in. Buy in is a very kind term for brainwashing.
1: <laughs> it is. Yeah. It is totally. And, and, and you know, and it's look, I'm not discounting its usefulness in the right set and setting. Right? Mm-hmm. All of these things are useful in the right set and setting. Um yes it's true and it's still good to know what's going on and it's good to know what the end game is right Mm -hmm. is the end game we've got a country to defend is that the end game okay that's a different set of circumstances or is the end game there's a populace out there that we need to control to manipulate why for profit because we have a few companies out here who would really really love to profit from these people so That's, in my mind, way different. But the tools are the same. They're exactly the same tools.
0: Two more pillars to get to here, starting with the relational pillar. Mm. This one may be the most important to me because happiness is rooted in experiencing the good and bad in this world with those that you care about the Mm -hmm. most. Is the foundational principle In relationship, resilience, honesty?
1: I think it could be for sure. Yeah. But I would go even deeper into that, that you can't, you can't love another. You can't trust another unless you first love yourself and trust yourself. Hmm. And most people would say, oh, I love me and I trust me. I guarantee you, if you dig into that, or if I worked with you, I could uncover to where you don't love yourself and you don't. Trust yourself fully. And I'm speaking as someone who was on that side of the fence too. And I would have told everybody in my path, you're, you're batshit crazy. I do love myself. <laughs> I do trust myself. And I can tell you, it was anything but that hmm. I was lying to myself, right? Again, unconscious stories reeling in my mind that set me up for that. What was the result of that? I did not have a meaningful relationship with a significant other until Michelle came along hmm. and you know, I had relationships. I had what I thought were loving relationships, but I could not connect. And this is, this is what finally clued me into that was every relationship I had. They would, they would always say that like you've got one foot in and one foot out. You're not fully committed. And in my mind I was fully committed, but they felt, and I was, I just seemed to attract significant others that were very perceptive, very feeling, very woo, but they, <laughs> to, to a number, they were like, you're, you're not fully in. You're not in this for the long haul. And I was like, I am, I, you know, I am. <laughs> but they could feel that, that I did not, at the end of the day, trust them. I did not, at the end of the day, really love them. And why? It's because I didn't love myself or trust myself. It also, by the way, the trusting self hamstrung me in finances. So personally, where did I excel? Well, I excelled in health, right? I had that one nailed. And I was one of those people too that when my relationships were going in the tanks and my finances were going in the tank, I just doubled down on the health and wellness. Hmm. And that was a train wreck. So I use myself as an example here, but the self-love, the self-trust, is the foundation of relationship outside. Once you can love yourself and trust yourself, then you can shower another with that, and then that bond is tight, and then you can go on. And that's, by the way, romantic, business, any kind of tight partnership, relationship.
0: The final pillar is tribal, and the tribal Mm. principle is really all about community. In your opinion, what does the modern tribe look like?
1: Paleo (laughs) effects. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the soft pitch. Um, truly, I mean, we built PaleoFX because of Tribe. That's exactly why we built it. We wanted to be surrounded by like-minded people who had the same uh, goals, aspirations, um, and we wanted to be surrounded by those people. And so that, that was a big reason why, and it probably was the reason why we created it. We wanted to bring that in. And here's another one. We have what we call um, affectionately among the members of this group are soul fam, right? Soul family. These are the people that are, who are live here in Austin or surrounding, and they are our ride or dies, right? These are the people I can call up at 2am and because I have lost absolutely everything or because I've just won the lottery. These are the first people that I call. Hmm. Um, we have each other's backs, no questions asked. Um, Michelle and I have been called by folks in the SoulFam that you know, are in whatever crisis, and we drop everything. It does not matter what's going on. Doesn't matter. Boom, we're there. You need us, we're there. And it's happened for us too, because we've had tough times. And we've called them, and they have dropped everything. And boom, they're there. That is the power of tribe. And that, I I can't even explain to you what a secure feeling that is. To know that as I operate in this world, that I have that group of people that in one call will drop everything and come to me, right? Now, would my family, family, biological family do that? Some would. But these are people that I I take a bullet for, seriously. I would take Mm -hmm. a bullet for each and every one of these people, and I know they would too. And Tribe is very, very empowering. So if you read Sebastian Younger's book, I think it's called Tribe, if if I'm not mistaken. His new one? Yeah, new-ish. I think it's been out a few years, but his newer one. His book is all about what happens during, for instance, a natural disaster when people have to come together and they have to band together to get through whatever disaster it is. Then you talk to them years after the fact and ask them, what was the best time in your life? You will inevitably go back to that disaster time because that's how we roll as human beings. We are tribal. And I know that word gets disparaged now because it's Again, controlled. People try to spin it out of its out of its usage and its terms, and it's become a word that is, um, uh, if if someone is is uh, deemed tribe, or you know that tribe is you know anti-American or, or whatever. It, it's you know if you control the language, you control the people, mm-hmm. in one sense. But to me, tribe is is everything. I mean, it is such a security blanket. And I would say in the absence of tribe, you have loneliness. And loneliness is an emotional train wreck. Most all the clients that we work with, they don't have a soul fam. If they did, they wouldn't be coming to us. right? Because Mm -hmm. for the most part, they could probably work through these issues with with that group of people who would be their ride or dies. They don't have that. As a culture, we have been divided out, divided out, divided out, divided out, divided out, to where you're almost on an island on your own. There's been so many divisions, so many divisions, so so many divisions. And then you might ask yourself, is that what human beings do? Or is that what controllers do to control human beings? I know I have (laughs) my ideas about that, right? The more you divide a people the more you remove their ability to collect as a tribe.
0: It's one of the reasons why the last year and a half has been so scary. I mean, one one of the many reasons, but the fact that we have become so separated from one another, that much more so, and we don't even get to see one another's whole faces anymore in a lot of instances because of various mask mandates. Mm -hmm. I mean, it feels like we are at a critical mass as a society and there is more of a need than ever To figure out ways to band together, to find those soul families, but also to have these conversations and to Mm. make sure that we are taking care of ourselves all at the same time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Keith Norris is the co-founder of Paleo FX, along with his wife, Michelle. That is, of course, the largest paleo platform and event in the entire world. And they've also partnered up to co-author a new book titled Primal Uprising, The Paleo FX Guide to Optimizing Your Health, Expanding Your Mind, and Reclaiming Your Freedom. Keith, thank you so much for the time today, and thank you for this important book.
1: Trey, thank you so much, man. It's always, always, always a pleasure to talk to you.
0: Join me next time for another edition of our Docs On Pod series with filmmaker Jeremy Elkin on All the Streets Are Silent, The Convergence of Hip-Hop and Skateboarding, 1987 through 1997. Thanks to Gentleman Jesus for the intro and outro music. Hear more of his work at GentlemanJesus.com. And thanks to you for hanging out. You can listen, learn, and connect for free at BooksOnPod.com. For Books on Pod, I'm Trey Elling. Good day.